you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your presence, God. Hallelujah. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Hallelujah. Mm. I feel the presence of God. I'm so thankful. Please don't forget about tonight. I know, I know Sunday afternoons, we've gotten used to having and taking that big long nap and then watching whatever on TV. I know, I'm right there with you. I love it. But listen, tonight is an important night. It's an historic night. And I want you to be here to experience it. I've done these kinds of services all over the Southeast, and I'm telling you, they're my favorite kinds of services. Because God, there's just a special thing that God commands his blessing on the unity when churches come together. It's just a beautiful thing. So please make it a priority. You have plans. I'm, 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 I'm your pastor. I'm asking you to cancel. Go to dinner a little bit later. Whatever you're going to do. Put, put your DVR on. Whatever you have to do. And come out and be here tonight at 630. It's going to be amazing. All right, we're in part two of our new series, The Dreamer. And we left off last time, if you were here, with Joseph making a couple of really dumb decisions. Anybody make, ever make two bad decisions in a row? Yeah, come on. Three? Do we need to pass a mic around and just have a confession time? Why not? Yeah. Because <laughs> we'd be here all day. Praise the name of the Lord. We might, might do that at testimony night. Those scare me to death. I'm sorry. I probably won't do that. But uh, I'm serious. But Joseph really goofs up because he has a couple of God dreams given by God, but he shares them at the wrong time and to the wrong people. And see, he shares them with his brothers that already dislike him. They already can't stand him because he's favored by Jacob, his father, his father's very open that because he had him in an old age and because Rachel, his beloved Rachel, finally had a son, he loves him more. And he proves it by giving him this expensive coat that meant a whole lot more than the coat. It meant that he would receive the inheritance in a very wealthy family. Well, you can imagine if you were the older, the old, eldest son, especially Reuben, that was his position. So these brothers couldn't stand him to begin with because of the favor. And now these dreams, that just put them over the edge. So that's where we're going to pick up our story in Genesis 37, verse 12. On the screen, it's going to be in the New Living Translation. Let me just get your attention before we dive into this. This is going to be... Not longer than usual, it's just full from beginning to end. I'm telling you, it is like just heavy. There's some heavy moments, but it's, it can be light. I'm telling you, I know you hear preachers say that all the time, but I'm telling you, this is, can be life-changing for you today. Pay attention, engage in the whole thing. If you are a note-taker, it really helps to stay engaged. I'm just telling you, this one's full today. Genesis 37, 12. Soon after this... This being the second dream that Joseph opens his mouth and Jacob says, Son, I love you, but you've got to shut up about these dreams. Come on. Use your head, son. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks 
at Shechem. Now, Joseph didn't go yet. He was still at home. And we're going to assume that most of the brothers this time, not just four, but most of the brothers went, except for Benjamin, who would have been the toddler at that time, the, the youngest brother. Verse 13, when they had been gone for some time, we don't know how long, Jacob, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. Get his response. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Everybody say, I'm ready. Say it again. I'm ready. Now, this reminds me of another story that would take place hundreds of years later with a man named Jesse and his son as a teenager, David, when he would send his son to take supplies to his brothers that were on the battlefield facing the Philistines. Now, this is very similar because David's brothers couldn't stand him either. David was a teenager. Joseph was a teenager. The brothers couldn't stand him because of favor. Well, you know what happened with David right before this. The prophet Samuel, in front of everyone, anointed him as the next king of Israel. Samuel walked into the house of Jesse and systematically rejected all six of the older brothers. David wasn't even in the room. How many feel like you're not ever even in the room? Doesn't stop God. Somebody needs to rejoice in that. You may not have even been in the room, and God will go get you out of where you're supposed to be and bring you into the place where he can bless you and call you to the next level. Somebody praise the Lord. Amen. Now listen, he wasn't even in the room. And Samuel said, is there not another? Well, there's David. He's out watching the sheep. Go get him. Of course, we know what happens. He comes in, and in front of his brothers, he is anointed. I mean, can you see this? Like a 15-year-old kid is anointed as the next king of Israel. And then sometime later, this war breaks out. The brothers, the older brothers are off to war, and his father says, I need you to take supplies. And David has the same response as Joseph, and he says, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Two teenagers that don't give any excuse. I'd say that's a miracle of the Bible right there. But <laughs> neither one of them said, Dad, my brothers can't stand me. Why would you want to do this? Neither one of them said, I've got this thing with my friends. Neither one of them said, listen, I'm, I'm watching on this show on tonight. As soon as it's off, I'll go. None of those excuses. They just both said, I'm ready to go. And in both cases, listen, in both cases, their obedience would lead to major obstacles in their life. Life-threatening obstacles. For David, it was Goliath. For Joseph, it was slavery. But these same challenges that seemed momentous and, and, and that they couldn't overcome, you know, things that were so major, in both cases, in both boys' history and their lives, ended up being the catalyst for great things. But I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Look at the screen. The journey to purpose began with obedience. That was better than you gave me just now. The, the journey to purpose 
At New Life Church, we're all about connecting people to their God-given purpose. That's the vision of the church. Well, that cannot begin until we start the journey with obedience. It starts there. It begins there. Let me ask you a question. How would you evaluate yourself in terms of obedience? Let me ask it this way. What is your attitude towards authority? Oh, oh, what is your attitude towards authority? Let me walk over here to our students for a minute. I'll get to y'all. Students, what is your attitude towards your teachers or your teachers, even the ones you don't like? Or your parents, even when you disagree with their decisions. Adults, you don't get away with this. What is your attitude towards those that are over you, your boss? What is your attitude toward the government? I already know what it is because you put it in social media every day. What is your attitude towards authority? I mean, make a very strong, direct statement. Look at the screen. God will not bless your life if you rebel against authority. Is that clear enough? God will not bless your life if you rebel against authority. 1 Samuel 15, 23, Samuel says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness, O Lord, help us men, is as iniquity and idolatry. So Samuel compares rebellion with witchcraft, and he compares being stubborn, God help us, to idolatry. Everybody look at me. You wonder why your prayers are not being answered? You wonder why they're hitting the ceiling, feeling like they're hitting the ceiling and coming back down? And you're like, God, I'm doing everything I should be doing. I'm reading the Word every day. I'm praying every day. I'm trying to live for you every day. I'm even giving in the offering, Lord. And what's going on? God will not bless your plans, your hopes, your dreams, nothing. If you are constantly pushing back and rebelling against the authority that he sets over you. (laughs) I got four or five over here. Listen, listen, even if you disagree, even if they're wrong, even if they're not Christians. Oh, pastor, you've crossed the line. That is incorrect. No, listen, Paul says it in Romans 13. Listen, let everyone, say everyone. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. He's not just talking about government. He's talking about anyone over you. For there is no authority except which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Did you see what he did? He said the same thing twice. He just reversed the sentence. This is important. Consequently, whoever rebels, there's our word, against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring what? 
judgment upon themselves. I told you it was going to be heavy. Listen, 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 listen. Unless they are asking you to break the law or violate the word of God, we are to submit to authority. Now listen, that leader, that that person over us, that boss, whatever, they may split hell wide open. They may not know Jesus. They may never come to know Jesus. That's between them and the Lord. But if we do our part and we submit like we've been asked to do, God will cover us and he will bless us because of our obedience even to a heathen boss or a heathen teacher or a heathen person or government official. Woo. Woo. That's a tough word, but it's so true. Obedience proved to be the catalyst Everybody says the catalyst was was David defeating Goliath. No, it started before that when he said, yes, Dad, I'm ready to go. My God, I feel that. And Joseph told his dad, yes, I know my brothers hate my guts, and they're probably going to give me a wedgie or something when I get there, but I'm going to go. Only it's going to be far worse than that. He doesn't realize Obedience proved to be the catalyst that propelled these boys to their destiny, to their purpose. Let's skip to verse 18 of Genesis 37. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Okay. All right, we've totally gotten past the wedgie and the the, the swirly at this point. The jealousy and the envy and the rage has become dangerous. And folks, look at me. Jealousy and envy, those things are dangerous. They are powerful emotions that the enemy uses to manipulate us. And it happens all the time. You've seen it. Good people, people that you know, people that you've watched their life and they've been good people up to this point, do things that you would never dream they would do. Or maybe you've been in that boat and you did things that you never thought you would do because of these emotions. I've got a good friend at another church, good friend, and I'm not, I'm not telling anything out of turn. This is his testimony. He was a young Christian man, got married. They were going after God, going after him, involved in church, and she cheated on him, and he found out about it. He found out who the man was, and he was so overcome by jealousy and rage and unforgiveness that he took his deer rifle and he, he, he figured out that he, he knew who he was. He followed him. He figured out when he could take his shot and he lined his crosshairs on that man when he got out of his car, had his finger on the trigger and he was a Christian. The Holy Spirit spoke and said, don't do it. And he took his finger off. The man never knew to this day that he was in the crosshairs of a 30-06. It would have changed that man for sure. He'd have been dead. And my friend would have been spent the rest of his life premeditated murder. Would have been in jail forever. Listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, says. 
about this progression. Do you think that happens overnight, that kind of a, of a, of a I mean, going from a, a good Christian man to murder? No. Listen to what James says. James 1.15, it says, These desires, like jealousy, like envy, like anger, give birth to sinful actions, and they usually start small. But if they're not taken care of, if they're not put under the blood, if we're not, don't take care of the unforgiveness in our life and get healing for those things, they begin to build and grow like a cancer. And eventually they lead to death. And that is where we are in this story. I feel you, Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, verse 19. Here comes the dreamer. That's our series. Here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. There we have it. Then we'll see. He's going to be dead. Then we'll see what becomes of these dreams. Now remember, let's take a second and step back. These men who were plotting the death of their brother were not heathens or pagans. These men represented the house of God, not a house the house they were the sons of israel and yet here they were plotting the death why because listen they shared their jealousy and that jealousy grew like a cancer among them and began hurling them down towards this direction and because there was a group of them it got faster and more momentum and they couldn't stop it I want you to hear me. You need to hear me, especially young people. When you get in a group of people that start heading towards a harmful direction, it's very, very hard to stop, and you'll end up doing things you would never dream that you would do. It's called a mob mentality. When we watch these kids on TV during a riot throw rocks through windows and, and damage cars and all of these things that we see, do you think they would be doing that if they were by themselves out on the street? Absolutely not. It's a mob mentality. It's old-fashioned peer pressure. But let me tell you, I want to choose friends who are going to pressure me to do the right thing. I want to choose friends who will pressure me to live for Jesus. I want friends who will celebrate with me when God does something amazing and not get jealous, not be envious. I want friends who will pray for me, who will pick me up, who will encourage me. And when I get off the track, they'll grab my arm and they'll hold me accountable. That's the kind of friends that I want. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard of their scheme... He came to Joseph's rescue, and I put in parentheses, sort of, because we know the story, right? Sort of. Now, Reuben was the son of Leah. She was the not-so-pretty one, to put it nicely. Matter of fact, she was so bad that Jacob had to be tricked into marrying her. She had Reuben. He was the firstborn son. He had the most to lose in this deal. So you know he didn't really like Joseph either. But I just have to think, he was, he was older, more mature, and he stops, he starts to think, we can't do this. I've got to rescue him. I've got to do something here. So he says, look on the screen, let's not kill him. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. He doesn't even have the guts to say, I'm going to rescue him. He's, he's trying to trick his brothers, he doesn't even have the guts to say he's, he's, he doesn't need to die. 
So he says, let's not lay a hand on Let's throw him in there. And then Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. But let me summarize chapter 38 because we don't have time to read it all. Let me, for some reason, when Joseph came, you know, they, they ripped off his, the, the expensive jacket, the coat, whatever it was. They, they, they tore it up, and then they threw Joseph into the, the empty cistern. And for some reason, Reuben leaves. We don't know why. We don't know where. He leaves the camp. He's gone. And while he's gone, he's planning on coming back. But while he's gone, these slave traders come by, headed to Egypt. And his brothers take Joseph out of the pit and sell him into slavery. And so Reuben comes back. Joseph's gone. He panics. They put blood on the coat, take it back, and trick Jacob into believing that he's dead, that he's been attacked and eaten in Joseph's life. Number three, Potiphar noticed that God was with Joseph. So God was with Joseph, and then after a while, Potiphar, being a very sharp individual, smart man, began to notice something different about young Joseph. Now listen to me. If God has his hands on your life, if you're going after God, young person, and you are are giving him everything, and he begins to bless you, he has his hand on you, it's going to become more and more obvious. I'm talking about obvious anointing, obvious mercy, obvious grace, obvious protection, obvious provision, obvious blessing, and somebody's going to know and know what is going on with them because it's obvious that God's hand is upon you. Some people will hate you for that. Some people will hate you for that, just like his brothers. Some people will use it for their own purposes, just like Potiphar. Potiphar wasn't saved. Potiphar wasn't a a God-fearing, Jehovah-fearing man, but he benefited because he saw God can deal with that. It was about Joseph, not a Potiphar. Get that. But listen, there'll be some who see what you have, my God, and they will desperately, desperately want it for their life. And when that happens on your job, in school, when they see that the same things are happening to you as are happening to them, but they're not affecting you the same way, and your life is blessed, and your life is anointed, and there's something, the grace just comes out of you, and the mercy is there. They're wanting to know, what is it about you? I want what you have. And when that happens, you will have the opportunity to share Christ with them. People will notice when God has his hand on your life. Number four, Potiphar's house was blessed because... Of Joseph. That reminds me of the, the story hundreds of years again, First Samuel again, with, when the Ark of the Covenant, they don't have anywhere to put it, and so they put it in the house of Obed-Edom. And for a short period of time, it stays in the house of Obed-Edom. And of course, the Ark represents the presence of the living God. And so as long as that Ark stayed in the house of Obed-Edom, his whole house was blessed. Amen. And that was the same Joseph. His hand, God's hand was on him. And because of Joseph being on the property, Potiphar was blessed. Listen to me, folks. Your circle of influence, if you're walking with God, 
the people that are under your roof, the people you go to school with, the people you go to work with, the people you, you go out and do sports and do different things, they should be affected by your Christianity. They should be blessed just for knowing you. They will be. They will be if you're walking with God and his hand is upon you. Let's continue with our text. Verse, or I'm sorry, continue. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife. Everybody say wife. 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 <laughs> His wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me. She demanded. Now she was still treating Potiphar as a slave. Remember that. Verse 8. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Come on, woman. <laughs> How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Now, right there we have evidence that he still is a worshiper of Jehovah God and that his character is still in line with the word of God. Verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. I love this. I have a visual mind. I can just see him sneaking through the house, right? You know, and he's like, oh crap. I mean, come on. I can see it. We can learn something from that. Look at the screen. If there is a strong temptation in your life, stay away from it. That's so deep, isn't it? Pastor Allen, that's so heavy and deep. Come on. If there's a temptation in your life that keeps tripping you up over and over and over, stay away from it. Pray God gives you strength to one day maybe go back to that friend or go back to that girlfriend or boyfriend or that group of people. But right now, you can't hang with them. You're going to have to do some hard things and make some hard decisions and break off some of these ties that are getting you in trouble over and over again. Come on, somebody, grow up. If you want to love God, then go after him. Quit fiddling around. I wasn't this mean in the early service. Y'all should have come to that one. Listen. Men. If these things cause you to stumble, if your computer, if your iPhone causes you to look at things or, or, or gives you a temptation that you can't handle, then you go back to the, you know, 2003 and you get you a flip phone. I'm preaching that you can just text and, and call people on. If, you, if that's a problem, stay away from it and pray God would help you. Put the computer in the middle of the house. Don't. You know I love you, right? I mean, this is, this is because it's the word of God. It's the word of God. And God wants us to, to, to be successful. God wants us to be blessed. God wants our families to remain whole and not broken by pornography and things like that. Verse 11, one day, however, no one else was around when he came in to do his work, and she grabbed him. I think she came up behind him because she knew. If, I mean, if he saw her, he was out. I think she came up and grabbed him, demanding, come sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak 
in her hand, and he ran from the house. Verse 13, when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. Now, you've got to get this. She is furious. She is used to getting her own way. Do you think for a second this was the first young man? Come on, use your head. This wasn't the first time. And she was used to getting her way and putting fear in the heart of whoever it was. And he reje- she feels rejected. She's angry. She starts screaming. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. Notice something. She calls Joseph what he was, not what he is, what God has promoted him to. If you have a friend or acquaintance that keeps reminding you of your past and who you once were and how you once acted, and they keep bringing those things back up to you over and over again, that is no friend. You need to break ties and you need to move away from that person. Get away from that person and stop allowing that negativity to come into your life. Now, if that person's your spouse... I know that's kind of like came out funny, but it's not because I I deal with that. So if that's the case, you don't need to get divorced. You need to you need to get help. Come on, you need to get help. If that's that's the way you communicate back and forth with your spouse, that is unhealthy. That is not what the way God wants it to be. But God can heal that. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Now, that wasn't in, the, in my notes, so that may have been for somebody here today. She continues. This is the Potiphar's wife. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. She held on. She did not lay it down. She didn't put it somewhere. She held on to it for hours until her husband came home. Why? Because she knew he would not believe her without some kind of proof. At this point, Joseph is so high in the eyes of Potiphar and so trustworthy and such a man of integrity that he would have probably believed him over his own wife. And so he ha- she had to have something, some kind of proof, so he would believe. So, so, so Potiphar gets home. She shows him the, the coat. She, she tells him what happens. She lies on Joseph. Of course, what's Potiphar going to do? There is, you have, I mean, what's he going to do? She's holding the coat, and he knows it's his. So Potiphar puts Joseph into prison. But as I studied this, I began to think, remember back to Potiphar's job title. What is it? Executioner. I think it's a miracle of God that Joseph, at first, I thought, this is a miracle that he wasn't executed. But then I began to think, I think Potiphar knew in the back of his mind something was off here. Something's amiss, and he spared Joseph's life, and he put him in prison. In closing, I'm going to just pause a second. This is a lot, isn't it? I know. It's, this is like a ton of stuff. It's heavy. But Joseph ran away from the temptation. He fled the evil, and he got prison for his troubles. He went from being in charge of the entire household to a prison cell for doing the right thing. 
I think this is one of the hardest things in our culture especially to do the right thing even when it's going to cost us in the short term. I, I know especially for young people and when I was a teenager and a young adult, that was one of the hardest things, to, you know, the delayed gratification. I want it right now, and I'll lie to get it. I'll do whatever I have to to get it right now instead of doing the right thing knowing it's going to put it off, or even in this case, it's going to send him to prison. That leads us to our big idea, and it's, it's heavy. Doing the right thing. Let me have, there we go. Doing the right thing is always the right thing even when the right thing seems to cost us everything. I know that's a lot. Let's, let's read it together out loud. Ready? Doing the right thing is always the right thing, even when the right thing seems to cost us everything. Joseph didn't know the end of the story. We know that what happens. We know God promotes him no matter where he's at. He didn't know that. All he saw was a prison. Oh, you got to hear me. Come on, focus in, focus in. All he saw was a prison cell, but God still had his eyes on the palace. Come on, somebody. All Joseph could see was a prison cell, but God could see the palace. Because God can see the end from the beginning. And that's why we must put our trust in him. We walk by faith. And not by sight. I feel you, Holy Spirit. Mm. I feel like somebody, this could be a life-changing moment for you today. My whole body is tingling. I don't get this very often. I'm not wired like that. I feel the Holy Spirit moving in somebody. Folks, when God gives us the precepts and commands and principles in this word about things like sex before marriage and outside of marriage and in, in being in, in, a, a person of integrity and character, he's not doing that so that we to steal our fun, so that he's a big killjoy in the sky. He's doing that because he loves us and he knows what tomorrow holds and he wants the best for us. And God wants your dreams to come true. Doing the right thing is always the right thing, even when the right thing seems like it's going to cost us everything. Would you bow your heads?